Well, welcome everybody to our special <laughs> Halloween episode. Yeah. In this episode, our subject is UFO abduction stories. Yes. Liv, remind me, do you like the X-Files? Um, I don't know, maybe. I like the X-Files actually a very normal amount, and a, I'm a very normal person about it. Says the person wearing an X-Files t-shirt with David Duchovny's face on it. I'm a very normal person who likes the X-Files. <laughs> who likes the X-Files just a little bit. <laughs> yeah. We have to drink. <laughs> do we? Yeah. Okay, well, hold on. Hold on, we'll explain this. So I came up with a drinking game for today, like we did for the 4th of July. So I wrote the content and Liv came up with a drinking game, not knowing what the content of the episode is. Liv, what are the rules? So bear <laughs> bear with oh me. God. I said, drink every time Liv, me, mentions the X-Files. Drink every time Ian says the word UFO. Drink every time someone gets abducted. Drink for every possible government cover-up. And then I said, take a shot if both Ian and Liv agree on the plausibility of the abduction story, which Ian asked me if I had anything going on tomorrow. And I said, yes. And he said, well, we're not going to be able to do all of that. Uh, well, I mean, it's going to be fine. Yeah, we'll take sips. I mean, I don't work tomorrow. I don't work for another five days. So I work tomorrow and I'm hanging out with my niece. So yeah, uh, Liv's in trouble. Yeah, I am. <laughs> hey, I'm excited for it. I have a liquid IV. I'm good. I'm good to go. You'll be fine. Yeah. Well, like our 4th of July episode, in this one, we are going to look at a bunch of different UFO abduction stories. I'm Ian. I'm Liv. And this is Disaster Hour. The Halloween version. Whoa. And here we are. I'm so excited for this episode. We've been talking about this all week. Mm Mm-hmm. Very excited. I feel like all month. We had yeah, this planned out. I mean, because I've been pulling together uh, alien abduction stories for quite a while. Yeah. Spoiler alert, just for those at home, because it's going to be hard to edit a lot of this out. Um, We've both been drinking. So <laughs> if the words seem a tad more cursive than normal, just roll with it. Hey, yeah. You it's didn't not hear poor anything. editing. It's not poor post-production. It's just poor life choices. Yeah. Or good, good life, life choices. choices. I, we're fine. Yeah. We walked home. We did. Yeah. No, we're fine. So you want to just get this started? Uh, yes. Hit the ground rolling here. Let's do Let's it. Let's do it. Okay, so the first UFO abduction story we're going to talk about took place on September 1st, 1969 in Berkshire, Massachusetts. This is the Reed family abduction. Mm. It's a family abduction. Oh, so, ooh, okay. Do All you know the, about this? No, I just oh. like shared experiences, you know? It's hard I'm to, sure like, the family does not see it that way, but yes. But you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like yeah, not yeah, a yeah. shared experience, but like sh- like shared. Um, I mean, it was a shared experience. A s- believe like me. S- similar stories where people can't like say, oh, this wasn't real. Yeah, you know? no, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So what happened was the Reed family was driving back to their home that night on September 1st, 1969, around 830 p.m. Well, they took a shortcut driving over the Sheffield Bridge. It was Tom Reed, who was only nine years old at the time, who remembers everything. Ooh. So his mother, Nancy Reed, was driving. His grandmother was in the front passenger seat, and Tom and his younger brother, Matthew, were in the back seat. Well, as they were driving over the bridge, there was a light shining up through the wooden boards of the bridge's bottom. The bridge itself was a covered bridge, and as they emerged on the other side, there was a large white orb of light that rose up about two stories high in front of them, per Tom's estimate. 
the orb of light navigated around the tree line, moving in the same direction as the Reed's car. Then Matthew Reed pointed out that a second orb had appeared on the other side of the car. And then their car began slowing down to an eventual stop. <laughs> no. Nope. At this point, Tom said everything was quiet and still. And then on the left side of their car, over the crop fields, they saw a giant disc that was shaped like a turtle shell hovering over the field. Then the shell-shaped disc hovered in front of the car and the other large orb of light, along with another orb of light, formed a triangle around the car. And bright lights filled the car as if someone was shining floodlights directly onto them. And this is the creepy part. Mm -hmm. Then, yeah, 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 this is where this is where it gets worse. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Then loud sounds of crickets and frogs filled the air, almost like the animal life was freaking the fuck out. Oh, (gasps) they know. They know. They know. They absolutely know. Now, the bright lights are the last thing the Reed family remembers, but. Tom has fuzzy memories of being in a large airplane hangar, which seemed to be entirely too big to fit inside the shell-shaped disc. But that's it. Hmm. And then suddenly, the family was back in their car on the road. However, three hours had passed, the car's ignition and lights had been turned off, and Tom's mother Nancy, who had been driving the car, was now sitting in the passenger seat. And his grandmother was in the driver's seat. So what the fuck? I remember this. I watched this on Unsolved Mysteries. Did you really? Yes. When? Recently? Um, A while ago. I've never watched Unsolved Mysteries. It's crazy. Some of it is kind of bullshit. However, this one was weird because of that, like them switching places in the in the car. And like Fox Mulder says in the X-Files, when you lose time, that's a um, drink. drink. A lot of alien abductions and people who have been through that, they say that they have lost time. So that's crazy. They lost three hours. Yeah. We lost nine minutes. Shout out to everyone who knows that's an X-Files quote. Is that another drink? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. I mean, I'm not mad about it. But the Reeds weren't the only people to have seen a UFO that night. Ooh. There were about 40 people that night across several towns in Berkshire County, Massachusetts, who reported seeing a UFO. The sad part about all of this, though, is that these sightings completely ripped the community apart. Some people had seen UFOs, some people hadn't, some people believed what they had seen were UFOs, some thought they were something else entirely. The Reed family was also harassed about their alleged abduction, too. Mm -hmm. Now, the Reed family owned and ran a local diner, and after the UFO sightings, policemen had to eat in their diner just to keep people from fighting and prevent harassment against the Reeds. People were that pressed about it? What the fuck? Why? I I don't know. Probably because so many people had seen something and mm-hmm. felt so passionately about it while others had and or couldn't believe it. Yeah. Like, leave these people alone. I mean, alone. it's the 60s. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Even Tom Reed was bullied at school about the abduction. That fucking sucks. <laughs> I know. I mean, he's only nine. <laughs> that sucks. Well, sadly, a year after the abduction, Tom's mother, Nancy, sold the family diner and moved the family to Great Barrington, Massachusetts. Jesus. They're like, we're getting the hell out of Dodge. They they got out. Yeah. Another interesting fact is that after the abduction, the family was regularly followed by a white pickup truck with no explanation. It's the fucking men in black. Hey. Well, Tom was quoted saying, quote, what I saw changed my life. I used to be an altar boy. I don't have my faith anymore. It's gone. You start to think, why are we here and what all this means? End quote. 
damn, seeing something so prolific that you just renounce your religion. That's crazy. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah. Like, just yeah. for a night. Yep. Wow. Now in 2015, the great Barrington historical society and museum confirmed the Reed's family experience. And the case was officially inducted into us history. Tom Reed even took a polygraph test over the incident and passed. So even though polygraph tests aren't the most accurate, this confirms that Tom believes he's telling the truth. Hmm. So it's true to someone at least. Yeah, that's f- fucking crazy that they switch places in the car. Hey, that's crazy. Yeah. And a concrete monument was built just outside of the Sheffield Bridge in Berkshire, which is now the site of the Tom Reed UFO Monument Park. Tom himself actually manages the park, and he says that he's very grateful for the opportunity to be a part of the park. That's cute. Yeah. He took it and made it into something. I wonder what his other family members have to say about it, because he seems to be the I one that's very vocal. I think he's the most vocal. vocal. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just... Uh, I don't know. That one's like In a pondering. car at night will be a theme here. Yeah. So what do we think about that story? Legit? I don't know. I feel like the only thing... That makes me think that it was legit was the grandma and the mom switching places in the car. Because if they didn't, I would just kind of have to call bullshit. So what do we think? Legit or not? I go legit. I don't know. I'm on the fence. Well, pick one. It's for the shot. I'm going to have to go with no. Wet noodle over here. I don't know. (laughs) Wet noodle. (laughs) Because it's like, why aren't the other family members more vocal about it? And But hold on. Nope. I might change it. Because why were they getting like frequently like harassed about it? Why were they being followed by somebody in a white pickup truck? I don't know. Why would they make this up? Yeah. Why would if they, four if they knew. members make this up? Yeah. Just saying. Okay. All right. I'll switch it. That makes more sense. I'll call it. I'll call it real. All right. Cool. Shot then. <sighs> what is it? <laughs> Evan Williams Peach. Because I know you can't handle shots. Can you give me like half? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> you should pour, pour. I am not doing half, by the way. Yeah. You should pour it in front of the microphone. <laughs> It sounds cool. It's too far away. Okay. Why did I smell it? Oh, why did I smell it? What is wrong with you? Are I don't you, know. Is this your first time? Nope. Cheers to the Reed family. Cheers. Cheers. It's not bad, Liv. Yes, it is. Oh, God, Liv. Ew. I don't like that. Oh, brother. This, this guy, guy stinks. stinks. That's Liv of, taking a shot. Oh, God. It reminds me of peach amsterdam it reminds me of when i was in high school i mean it's peach it's evan williams peach and got drunk for the first time oh god yeah shout out to sierra vogel who drove me home class act love her all right so our next story is not a ufo abduction okay but i'll just tell it and you'll see why i threw it in here at the beginning okay so this is what got me started down this alien rabbit hole earlier in the summer Mm -hmm. so a man named paul pellier confirmed the existence of aliens on earth Okay. Yeah. Sounds like a lot of hoopla. Perhaps. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of hoopla. Hoopla. But who is Paul Hellyer? Well, he was Canada's Minister of Defense from 1963 to 1967. He was an engineer and a politician in Canada, as well as a writer. Now, during Paul's career in Canada's government, Paul received many stories of UFOs suggesting the existence of aliens, etc., etc. But... Paul, being a logical man, never really gave them much thought. At some point, however, Paul is sent a copy of a book called The Day After Roswell. Ooh. Did I talk about this to you yet? I think so. Uh, you mentioned it, and then you're like, I- I'm not going to talk about it. Said, yeah. Okay. okay, so here we are. Here yeah. we are. <laughs> so The Day After Roswell is a book that describes the events of the Roswell crash in New Mexico and how alien spacecrafts were recovered along with their technology. 
I want to go there so bad. And pilots. I want I want to go to yes. Roswell. 100% yes. There's just so many cool like souvenir shops and shit like that. I would love to be there. Anyway, love you, Roswell. I do love Roswell. It's so fun. It's yeah. it's the classic UFO story. The classic mystery story. Yeah. All right. Well, anyway, as Paul is reading the book, The Day After Roswell, he tells his nephew what book he's reading. Now, his nephew has a career in aviation, which Paul did not specify what the career is. So I'm going to guess it's some sort of like Air Force career. Mm -hmm. Spacecraft. Sure. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So after Uncle Paul tells him about the book, his nephew discusses this book with a former U.S. Air Force general. Then Paul's nephew comes back to his Uncle Paul and is like, yo, Uncle Paul, this retired general said all of this book is real. So Paul Hellier is like, okay, what? Mm Mm-hmm. So he calls the former Air Force general, and before Paul can even say anything, the retired U.S. Air Force general answers the phone and says outright, every word is true and more. Damn. From that point, Paul started paying attention to all of the stories regarding UFOs and aliens, and boy, does he learn a lot. This is so Fox Mulder of him. It is. It is so Fox Mulder of him. Drink. Drink. X-Files. Mm-hmm. I love how you do a pinkies up. Always. Also, is one of the rules to drink whenever I say UFOs? Yeah, I, I've been We're cutting that. that. We're, yeah. There's literally no way that can happen no. if we want to function before next weekend. Yeah. No. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, we have Halloween to celebrate, guys. Yeah, just no. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. So what does Paul learn, though? Well, in 2005, Paul first announces that he believes in the existence of aliens. He wanted to believe. And to this day, he's the only cabinet-ranking official from a G8 nation to publicly state that he believes in extraterrestrials. In 2013, at a citizen hearing on disclosure in Washington, D.C., Paul addressed the fact that there are extraterrestrials on Earth, starting with saying, and I quote, We live in a cosmos teeming with life of various sorts, end quote. Years later, Paul was interviewed, and I will link the interview. Mm-hmm. And this was the interview that got me hooked. Paul says that these aliens are way further advanced in technology, medicine, agriculture. Just everything. Yeah. So in the interview, Paul talks about the alien species that he knows about. And he says that he's unsure about the total number of aliens living on Earth currently. But he's gotten reports of certain species that are confirmed living here and have bases on Earth. A few of these species Paul confirms are the short grays. Yes. Which are your typical short gray aliens that the media has sensationalized. Large black eyes and bald heads. Mm -hmm. I mean, could it be all bullshit? Yeah. But also, where did the stereotype come from? Yeah. I feel like if we dug more deeper into it, there has to be like, I don't know. Maybe someone just came up with the idea. There's the tall grays. These look more like humans, also with gray skin, though. He also names the Nordic blondes, which he states are so similar to humans that you would not recognize them if they were walking down the street in a crowd of people. Crazy. So like Terminator. Well, they're robots. Yeah, I don't know. Um, In mythology, also, the Nordic blondes are known as an alien species of empathetic, telepathic, kind aliens that are just trying to do the best for Earth. Oh, slay. They just want to hang out. Again, where did that stereotype come from? I don't know. They just want to hang. That's cute. You know, they just, they're like, you guys are little weirdos. They're anthropologists. They just want to walk around and observe us and then be like, look at these little freaks. Pretty much. That's crazy. Pretty much. Would like to meet one. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I probably have. I just don't know. And another species that Paul Hellyer confirms are a species that look like large praying mantises. Sick. These are the ones that I want to take over the world. If you're a <laughs> hyper-intelligent insect-human hybrid that has master technology and hyperspace travel, clearly you're the one who is the most qualified to fix the myriad of problems that Earth has created. Mm. Take over. It's yours. Be our savior, please. I just feel like they're all just hanging out and taking notes on us and being like, look how underdeveloped these little freaks are. Well, Paul also goes on to say that after the Roswell crashes, of which there were multiple, humanity has obtained the wrecked spacecrafts and back-engineered the technology that was found on these alien spacecrafts. Fiber optics, microchips, Kevlar, and lasers are just a few examples of technology that we got from their technology, is what Paul says. There's no way. Uh, there's no fucking way. There's scientists out there being like, hey, you're undermining my work just to say that aliens did it. No. I don't know. I'm not there. Mm -mm. I don't think so. Well, think how far <laughs> microchips came in the last 10 years. That's just science development, baby. Honestly, I defer to you at this point. Really? Yeah. I don't fucking know about microchips or any of that shit. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> Neither do I. I just think that. I know that 100 gigabytes is a terabyte or is it a thousand? I don't know. Okay, well, never mind. I we'll defer call. to nobody. Yeah. Don't ask me that kind of questions. That's I, a Trisha question. That's a Lexa question. Is it? Yeah. It's not us question. It's not a Trisha question. <laughs> love love her so much. Unless she does know and she's going to text me when this comes out. She's going to be like, I know what that is. Okay. Well, if she wants to sue somebody over it, then it's a Trisha question. <laughs> she's going to be like, that's not what I do. Now, Paul says that Earth has been being visited for thousands of years. However... The number of visits to Earth amped up after the first atom bomb was detonated in New Mexico in 1945. Why, you may ask? Because they know something that we don't know about splitting an atom. When we split an atom, it affects way more across the galaxy than humanity can comprehend. So the aliens are basically coming here more frequently saying, hey, stop doing that, please. Mm -hmm. And also, they have bases here too. So setting off enough of these bombs was going to make Earth uninhabitable for everyone, including them. Okay. But yeah, all of that is what Paul claims. And yeah, that's also what's in that book too, I believe. Paul also says that many of them have infiltrated governments across the world, specifically taking inventory of the nuclear warheads in countries all across Earth to prevent their detonation. He says that there have been many cases where they've disabled nukes from going off, one example is that there was a military test out west in the U.S. years ago. So the test was the military was trying to set off ex experimental nuclear bombs, mm -hmm. but they saw a UFO hovering over near the site. This UFO was supposedly putting the nuclear warheads out of commission, despite all the tens of fail-safes that were installed to ensure the warheads would detonate. However, none of them did. This is That's kind of stuff where I'm like, are you sure that really happened? Like, are you really sure? I, I don't know. I, I And I understand that he has like the credentials and everything like that. This is that, what Paul says. I mean, why would you go through that entire career in politics and engineering and then to tarnish all of it with claims like this? Sometimes people... How old was he? This was in the early 2000s. So 60s? I don't know, man. This is... Yeah. He sounds very Fox Mulder. And I love... Fox Mulder was never wrong about anything ever. No, he wasn't. But you know what Dana Scully did? She put in the science with it, and then she was also right. It's a weird dynamic. So he's right. 
I don't know. Is what you're saying. Not no, really. No, I'm always on the side of skepticism first. That's, yeah, absolutely. But. I understand some things and I understand. Um, some stuff. Some stuff and some things as well. But like human curiosity and wanting to know what the truth is and then getting to some place where you're like, oh, it was it was aliens because your brain is just trying to find something to grab onto to make it seem real. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. No. Yeah. 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 That makes so sense. I just there's some stuff that happens and we're like, oh, that has to be like a ghost or it has to be aliens that's, that's doing that. So there's just some stuff kind of like this where I'm like, I, I don't know if that really happened. I could see it. Yeah. That makes sense. But yeah, so that's Paul Hellyer, Canadian badass. Yeah, he, he seems did, cool. Yeah. Unfortunately, he did pass away in 2021. Ugh. He seems like he lived a very happy, a very long life. Yeah. So you know what? What he, a guy. He had a nice family. Yeah. He died he doing what he loved. beautiful lake house in Canada. Gorgeous. You'll love it. Gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. So next up, we have the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. This story has one of my favorite quotes of all alien abduction stories. Shit, really? Yes. Let's get into it. I'm excited. Let's. Oh, we shall. So this takes place in September of 1961. Betty and Barney Hill were driving through Vermont late at night. The two had been recently married the year prior and were finally able to take their honeymoon up in Canada. Oh, cuties. Yeah. They went to Montreal and Niagara Falls. They just wanted to be together. Oh, thank God. That's so cute. Also, have you ever listened to the Morbid podcast? No. Um, Ash and Elena did this story and they did a stellar job. So yeah. if anyone out there is listening, listen to Morbid. They did the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. Ooh, it was awesome. I have to listen. Well, on Betty and Barney Hill's drive home, they stopped at a diner late at night. But because a storm was approaching, Barney decided that they would continue driving home late at night to stay ahead of the storm as opposed to getting a hotel. That'll get you. Now, their home was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and by their estimate, Betty and Barney would get home around 3 a.m. after they left the diner. So they were still a good few hours drive away. Mm -hmm. I would say like just get a hotel. But when we would drive from Ohio to Arizona, we would be like, hey, keep going. Just be done with it. And then they, they had a storm come again. You don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. Just get just home go. and be done. It's going to be late, but you're going to feel so much better once you're at home. Yeah. Well, as they're driving home at night, they're the only car on the interstate because it's the early 1960s. I hate that. And Betty and Barney see a bright light in the sky ahead of them. At first, they said this light looked like a falling star, but it kept growing brighter and brighter. So Barney pulls the car over, and him and Betty get a pair of binoculars out to look at the shining object in the sky. And both of them witnessed the source of the light as a giant hovering disc in the sky. And also, let's note that Barney has an IQ of 140. <laughs> Sorry. And he was known to be a very practical yeah. human. So Okay, okay. He's That's a high IQ. It is. No, 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 it is. I'm laughing about the way that you just like put it in there. You're like, also. I'm drunk. I don't know what else to say. Sorry. Like it's My inflection is going to be funny. a tad off on something. It was great. No, no, no. It was good. It was good. A few shots in, a few drinks. Oops. Yeah. I did it again. All right. Um, What did I say? So yeah, Barney's IQ, 140. Smart guy. Practical dude. No bullshit. Yeah. But both Betty and Barney agreed that what they were seeing was not a satellite or an airplane of some kind. So not sure how to explain what they were seeing. They both get back into the car and Barney continued driving home along the interstate. But the disc was following them. Ew. It was about 100 feet above them in the air, above the tree line, and it was appearing to weave in and out of the tree line along the road as it followed them. 
I would be like, I would beep. <laughs> I mean, I've beeped for a lot less. So yeah, yeah I, I would 100%. <laughs> and when they came to an opening in the tree line, Betty and Barney could see the disc floating directly ahead of them. So Barney stops the car abruptly, sneaks the handgun that he had hidden in the car into his pocket, tells Betty to stay in the car as he gets out and takes the binoculars into the field alongside the interstate. Why would he? Hey, why would you do that? He does this so he can get a better look at the disc. He's like, I want to know what the hell that is. Why is it following us? I, I would not. And as he does this, Barney sees the UFO in its entirety. He says it was some 80 foot long with windows all along the side through which he could see gray humanoid beings all dressed in black watching him. Yeah. At this point, Barney tries to grab his gun, but his arm, for some reason, wouldn't move. Oh. Then he hears a voice in his head telling him not to put down his binoculars. Oh, shit. They're like, hey, if you want to look, baby, you can look. You want to look? Oh, that's so, crazy. They're a little bunch of freaks. <laughs> voyeurism, baby. Yeah. It's galactic. <laughs> it's an every world kink. <laughs> So then Barney is like, fuck it, I'm out, runs back to the car, yelling and screaming in fear, which same, I would be doing that too. Yeah, I'd be shitting myself. So he gets back to the car and hauls ass down the interstate, getting the fuck out of there. But as they're driving away, a series of loud rhythmic beeps erupts from the car's trunk. What is it? The trunk? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Do you know what it is? A robot. I don't know. You'll find out. I thought you were going to say like the radio started going like. No. Okay. It's at this point that Betty and Barney are instantly drowsy and lose consciousness. And a couple hours later, they wake up, but they are 35 miles further down the road than when they had passed out. What did I fucking say? Lost time. Uh Uh-huh. Dazed, tired, and having not a single clue what had just happened, Barney drives the rest of the way home back to Portsmouth, New Hampshire. When they finally get home, they both agreed that something beyond strange had happened. So Barney says, okay, let's go into different rooms, draw what we think we saw, then show the drawings to each other. Okay. Hey, that's... Yeah. I'm, I'm with that. I'm yeah. so with that. Well, they do this. And when they show each other what they remembered seeing, their drawings are eerily similar and terrifying. Ooh. They both had drawn a version of a hovering disc with humanoid figures standing in the windows. So Liv, I have here... Barney's drawing of what he witnessed. Okay. Barney's drawing illustrates the UFO, the flying disc that he had seen, Mm -hmm. and red lights that had popped out of the side as it got closer to the car on some sort of fins that popped out from the side of the UFO. Okay. Looks like a little sandwich. Kind of. Cool. Like an uncooked hamburger patty. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. That looks like, or it looks like the top of like the space needle, but without like the needle part, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, that's so fucking weird. And he like, isn't it? he pointed it out too. And w- like had like little diagrams. Yeah. Okay. Barney. Barney. Huh? Barney. Not Bernie. I said Barney. You called him Bernie. I said Barney. Yeah, you did. That's not his name. It's well, Barney. You called him Bernie. His name is Barney. Like Barney, like Barney the monster. Barney the big red dinosaur. Purple dinosaur. Okay. I, I thought I said Barney. You said Bernie is in Bernie Sanders. Barney, Barney, Barney. Barney, Barney, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> God, this episode is falling apart. I'm sorry, seems. I'm sorry. Show me, show me Betty's. Sure, Jan. Sure, Jan. <laughs> George, try to fi- I couldn't find Betty's. Oh, is he Cuban? <laughs> Stop. <laughs> but with no way to categorize their experience, and out of fear for ridicule, 
both Betty and Barney decided to keep the incident to themselves, especially since Betty and Barney worked in civil rights in New Hampshire, and as well as being an interracial couple, they felt they couldn't afford to have their reputation tarnished. That's upsetting. That's extremely upsetting. Holy shit. (sighs) What the fuck? The 60s of it all. However, one thing of note, instead of getting home at 3 a.m., by the time Betty and Barney got home, the sun was already rising and daylight was upon them. So that was not 3 a.m. Now, they're not sure exactly what time they got home, Mm -hmm. but the sun was up. So that was hours past 3 a.m. Yeah, like 6 or 7. Lost time. What happened to those hours? Uh, Fuck if I know. Fuck if they know either. Well, they do know. Oh, they do? They remember Oh, not initially, but they sought help. This is so fucking, you, you know what I'm going to say? X-Files. This is what Fox Mulder did. Drink. I want to I know exactly what they did, and then I'll see if it's the same. Oh, you'll find out what they did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you. So in the following weeks, after the UFO sighting, Betty, being an avid reader, checked out a lot of books from the library to try to make sense of what had happened. In her readings, she discovered a group called the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, Ooh. NICAP. I think it's also called Nightcap. It sounds like Nightcap. I love a good Nightcap. Same. We've had many. (laughs) Also, eventually, Betty would report this sighting to the U.S. Air Force to try to get some answers. Oh, fuck. So she's like, you know what? Fuck it. Yeah. Well, years after the experience and having found minimal answers, Mm -hmm. Betty and Barney are still having nightmares about the incident. And Barney's health was also declining. Hmm. He had developed a stomach ulcer, and he was also suffering from increased anxiety daily, Oh, too. my. F- so he was just stressed He's to the max. He's struggling. That poor guy. They just wanted to go on their honeymoon. That's so upsetting. That's all they were trying to do. So Betty and Barney go to counseling. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. It was there that they met a psychiatrist and a neurologist named Benjamin Simon. Benjamin Simon also specialized in hypnosis, which during the 60s was common practice. There it is. Also, I'm here for hypnosis. Yeah. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what Fox Mulder did when his sister, Samantha Mulder, got abducted by aliens. Yes. Don't you love this button? I love that button. It's the best button ever. (laughs) And also, fun fact, Samantha Mulder was born um, on the same day as me. Really? Really. November 21st. Isn't that weird? That is weird. It's fucking weird. And I remember seeing it and being like, oh my God, I have the same birthday as Samantha Mulder. Oh my God, that's crazy. Good for, for you. Thanks. I'm proud of you for that. I'm always connected to the X-Files. Always. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my star sign is, my birthday is, it's crazy. Anyway, he uh, went through that. Scully listened to the tapes and that's when we get the first, I want to believe. Because <sighs> the doctor is like, do you believe? And he was like, well, I want to believe. Crazy shit. Okay, I'm sorry. There is never a need to apologize (laughs) for the X-Files. Yeah. Now, it was Dr. Simon who determined that using hypnosis could likely tell them what happened during their lost hours that night. Mm -hmm. So both Betty and Barney, during individual sessions under hypnosis with Dr. Simon, recalled that there was a flying disc that somehow attached to their car on the trunk, which somehow put them both to sleep. Once the car was stopped, gray humanoids walked both of them up a ramp into the UFO. They said, get on up here. Inside the UFO, Betty and Barney were taken to separate rooms that appeared to be some sort of examination rooms. These rooms had curved walls with a large light on the ceiling. 
Why are they so obsessed with like examining us? Like why? I'm curious about that. Like, and why separate times? You know what I mean? Like what's so fascinating about the human body? Hey, pick up a book. I think at the end of this, you may have an answer to that. Oh, okay. At the end of like the story or the podcast? Podcast episode, yeah. Soleil. Okay. Well, in the examination rooms, Betty and Barney each stated that they were asked to get up onto a metal table. After this, their clothes were removed by the humanoids and an exam of their bodies followed. The humanoids took samples of their hair and skin along with nail clippings and small needles that were connected to long wires poked their arms and legs, as well as their heads and their spines. That just sounds like a regular Saturday night. It's Tuesday, baby. (laughs) And remember, Betty and Barney are in separate rooms while they're being examined. But both of them said that there was one gray humanoid who was present during their exam who observed everything from the side of the room. They said that this humanoid seemed to be the leader of the others. Ew. Gross. However, during Betty's exam... A longer needle was inserted into her abdomen, and she was told that this was a pregnancy test of sorts. This needle, however, caused her to writhe in pain. Um, It doesn't seem like an anesthetic was used during this. Oh, my God. They're like, oh, okay, we're going to see if you're pregnant. She's like, hey, can I pee on a stick? They're like, no, real, we're going to poke you. Real quick. Yeah, I, yeah, no. Gross. After this, Betty's examination ended. And then several more beings seemed to excitedly rush back into her exam room. They were excited because they had found that Barney's teeth could be removed and they didn't understand how. So, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I, right? I can hear him go like, <laughs> well, Betty explained that they were dentures, which was a normal part of aging for humans. But she said that the gray humanoids didn't seem to comprehend the concept. That's crazy. She was like, hey, we all lose our teeth and eventually we just get too old and we have to get dentures. Which makes me think that maybe this civilization was so far medically advanced mm-hmm. than our civilization. Yeah. So. They're, they just completely fucking forgot about teeth. Yeah. And how teeth work. Or they forgot that you could lose teeth. Yeah. Oh, crazy. Yeah. I. That's just so fucking funny. They're like, like they come out. What the yeah. fuck? <laughs> so these beings leave the exam room, leaving Betty alone with the leader. And then the two of them have a conversation. And this is the part of this abduction story that I just find so beyond fascinating. So during this conversation, Betty asked the leader where they had come from. Well, the leader pulled up a map on the wall that seemed to be like a hologram map with dots of lights on it. Betty said that it looked like a star map. So the leader asks Betty if she knew where she was on the map or if she knew where Earth was. Mm -hmm. Betty said no. And the leader chuckled and replied, If you don't know where you are, there wouldn't be any point in telling you where I am. Real facts. I mean, does that not give you chills? I would be like, okay. Oh, yeah. Ew. I would be like, okay. Sounds great. Sounds so good, buddy. It's hard to argue that. That's weird. I, yeah, this is a good one. That's why I love that quote. This is my, that quote is my favorite part of this story. Oh, God, if you don't even know where you're at, there's no point of telling you where I'm from. What the? That's crazy. And it would just be such an easy. Yeah, I'm right here. But also at the same time, it's a it doesn't matter. It doesn't. This makes no sense. Yeah. He's like, I could. But you would just be like, "Okay." it's like when people are like, yeah, I'm from like this county. And I'm like, "Okay, yeah, yeah. I have no fucking idea where you're from. Well, I think he did tell her because during Betty's hypnosis sessions, she would actually recreate the map that she had seen. 
And Betty identified the star system Zeta Reticuli as their home, which is about 39 light years from Earth. Yeah, it's not that far. About 20 minutes. It's a drive. It's, yeah, yeah. You spend an afternoon getting there. <laughs> 20 minutes on the turnpike. Of you like stop a good, at the like sheets 45. halfway through, you'll be fine. Yeah, yeah. Fill yeah. her up. <laughs> Fuck. Isn't that just like... That's just... That's, that's something. Crazy. It's something. It's something. Now, during Barney's hypnosis sessions, though his memories were incredibly similar to Betty's, he was way more panicked during the hypnosis sessions, yelling and shouting in fear and showing more prominent signs of PTSD and trauma. No wonder he has a stomach ulcer. Uh-huh. Now, even though Dr. Simons was skeptical of their story, he did determine that the two both experienced an extremely terrifying event and showed signs of mental trauma because of it. So, regardless of his own skepticism, Dr. Simons determined that Betty and Barney believed that they were being truthful in their account of what had happened. So, in Betty and Barney's reality, that happened. Yeah. That story they recounted was their truth. Mm -hmm. In 1965, a newspaper in Boston picked up the story about their abduction, though it was much against Betty and Barney's wishes that the story was publicized. Oh. And, of course, the media went wild. A TV movie was actually made about their abduction, and it starred James Earl Jones. What? Really? And James Earl Jones is who, Liv? Oh, God. He was the voice of who, Oh, Liv? my God. Darth Vader. Correct! And who else? I don't know. I'm scared. Mufasa? Oh, was he? Oh, my God. Yes, he Correct! was. Correct! Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. But again, Betty and Barney were very big in civil rights, so they really weren't trying to have this shit publicized. Yeah. God, that's so shitty. Now, Barney died relatively young. I think he was only in his 40s. Oh, please. But this just prompted Betty to get further into UFO stories. Yeah. And UFO adoption cases. Yeah. So she sort of made a career out of... What happened to her? Out of what happened to her mm -hmm. and getting involved in other people's stories such as this. Okay. Damn. Yeah. That's... Uh, I believe that one. Betty was a boss. Yeah. I just can't believe he was probably just freaked out the entire time. And Betty was probably like, which I how mean, would you how not would you be? not? But Betty yeah. was probably just like, you know what? They're just going to do whatever they're going to do. And there's no point of me freaking out about it because I'm just going to. Betty seemed so real that she was like, probably like, yeah, OK. Yeah. And she, she got the courage to Why talk fight? to that thing. And the fact that it like chuckled and laughed at her and said that, but still probably told her where he was from. Yeah, like, he was probably like, well, I mean... Yeah, she's asking. And it probably wasn't okay. even, like, a mean chuckle, you know what I mean? It was yeah, probably it was just, just like, like... okay, well, listen. Yeah, like, um, I can show you, but you're not going to fucking know where it's at. I would love to have that conversation with a gray humanoid. Yeah, so would I. Absolutely. So, I think we drink for that one also, right? Yeah, I don't know if I want to take a shot, though. Can I just take a big gulp? That's fine. Okay. Yeah. I took a big gulp. How'd it feel? Good. That one felt great. Oh, that tastes like birthday cake. Sprite and vanilla vodka. No. Do you want to try it? No. Okay. Hey, it tastes good. No. I, I bet it tastes good, but no. Yeah. I mean, you, you're drinking whiskey and bourbon, so. It's my MO. It is. It truly is. Okay. Next story. <laughs> the abduction of Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson. This one Ooh. gives me the EBGBs. I love a good EBGBs. Oh, this is so spooky. Oh, yeah. Well, this story takes place in Mississippi on October 11th, 1973. Two men, Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson, were fishing on the Pascagoula River at night. Hmm. I think I'm saying Pascagoula correctly. At night? At night, yes. Oh, that's at good night. for catfishing. Yeah. At night. <laughs> at the fun. time, Charles was 42 and Calvin was 18. Well, while they were fishing, the two saw blue lights reflecting off of the water. 
They were fishing near the banks and figured that the blue lights were the police who had arrived to tell them that they needed to leave because it was late at night. Ah, the boat police. That was not the case. Oh, no. But then a blinding big light came out of the clouds and descended toward them. And that's when the two saw a UFO hovering over the water. Calvin Parker estimated that it was about 80 foot long and shaped somewhat like a football. Ooh. He also said that the UFO made very little sound at all, other than what he described as a hissing noise. Oh, a hiss? I would expect like a hmm. I don't know. That's even scarier. Then three legless creatures came out of the UFO and floated toward the two of them. <laughs> they described the creatures as being gray with no necks, and each of them had mitten-shaped claws. One of them reached out and grabbed Calvin by the neck, which he believed injected them with something because they were instantly calmed as they did this. <laughs> Calvin Parker said, I think they injected us with something to calm us. I was kind of numb and went along with the program. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't believe this at all, do you? No, oh. You said necklace floating gray things with, with mitten-like claws. Who yeah, would make right, that right. up, though? Like, if you're gonna... They're probably catfishing drunk, and they're like, you know, it'd be so fucking funny. If we convince people that we got abducted, they by could aliens. make a. All right, so let's let's. I, okay. I think I can sell the story better okay. to you. All please, right. please, please. Well, from that point, the two men were taken onto the UFO, and both men believed that the creatures had experimented on them. Charles Hickson said, "Quote: When I got in there, they had me. There were no seats, no chains. They just moved me around. I couldn't resist them. I just floated. Felt no sensation, no pain." And when they were in the UFO, they said that there was a machine that looked similar to a giant eye that looked over their entire bodies. A giant eye would be unsettling. I just situation. think of the Mario 64 game where you had to punch the giant eye and then the blue coin would pop up. Yep. Yeah. They did that. Well, while they were being examined, they were surrounded by these strange beings. Charles Hickson described them as being about five foot tall, monopedal, which means one foot or one leg, and inhuman. Hey, beat the shit out of it. Hey, push it. They have no... They couldn't resist them. They had been injected with something, Liv. Gosh. I'm she sorry. does not want to believe. No, no, she not this one. Something else. Not this one. I'm on Dana Scully's side. <laughs> <laughs> well, then, both Calvin Parker and Charles Hickson were suddenly back on the riverbank, but they both had very little memory of what had happened shortly after they were taken onto the UFO. So the two men go straight to the Jackson County Sheriff's Office to report what had just happened. Now, there they were interviewed by Captain Glenn Ryder and Sheriff Fred Diamond. Share? Sheriff? Oh. <laughs> Do you believe? Someone doesn't believe here and her name's Liv. <laughs> and it's probably not surprising that the sheriff who interviewed Calvin and Charles did not believe their story. So when they both leave the interrogation room, Captain Ryder leaves a recording device in there, unknowingly to Calvin and Charles. Captain Ryder did this, assuming that when he left Calvin and Charles alone, he'd catch them talking to each other about how they were making up this whole story for whatever reason. But this is the conversation that was recorded. Charles is recorded saying, quote, Jesus Christ, God have mercy. I thought I'd been through enough hell on this earth, and now I've got to go through something like this. But they could have, you know, I guess, well... They could have harmed us, son. They had use. They could have done anything to us. And then Calvin replies, quote, I just want to cry right now. What's so damn about it is nobody's going to believe us. End oh. quote. 
That's sad. That makes me feel guilty. Yeah. No, I still don't believe him. However, it's not like a, I'm pointing going, ha ha, <laughs> like before. Unfortunately, though, there was no physical evidence of the abduction on either of their bodies. So there really is no way to prove this. Now, Charles Hickson was very open about the abduction, but Calvin Parker was quiet about what happened to them and didn't really discuss the event. However, after Charles Hickson's passing in 2011, Calvin Parker co-authored a book about the abduction in 2018 titled Beyond Reasonable Doubt. And as it so often happens, the publication of his book prompted others who had similar experiences to come forward. This book is really what drew a lot of media attention to the story of what happened to them in 2018, what, some 40 years later. Mm -hmm. Calvin said, quote, It makes me feel pretty good that I'm not the only one who saw something. Most of these people are credible people. So what do you think? No. No? No. It's The recorder in the sheriff's interrogation room. Uh, they could have just been like, talk about it until we get the fuck out of Dodge. They could be listening. But why, what do they have to gain from that? I don't know. They lived in the Bible Belt. If yeah. you're going to say that kind of shit in the Bible Belt in the 70s, you've got to be prepared and bold enough to really believe what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, sorry. Not this one. Boom! Yeah. Okay. Right, Liz. right, right. There's just not enough evidence, I don't think. There's never enough evidence. There was they a lot of any. evidence with um, Barney and Betty. Well, this next one has evidence, let okay. me tell you. Okay. And this next one is the case of Antonia V.S. Boas. Ooh. This was one of the first major abduction cases to circulate around the U.S. It takes place on October 15th, 1957. 23-year-old Antonia V.S. Boas was a farmer living in Brazil. And because Brazil is hot during the day, Antonio would do a lot of his work on the farm at night when it was cooler outside. Makes sense. One night, working on the field, he sees some sort of red star in the sky. But the star was coming closer to him and getting much larger. Once the star was above the field, Antonio saw that it was a circular-shaped UFO. Ooh. With a rotating dome-like structure on the top where the red light was shining from. Ah, classic. The UFO lowers and three legs extended from the bottom of the UFO and it landed in the field in which Antonio was working. Classic. This is a classic UFO. This is everything you wanted to be in a UFO story. Yeah. So at this point, Antonio decides to get the fuck out of there. Mm -hmm. He gets on his tractor and begins driving through the field away from the UFO. But the tractor's engine and lights suddenly died after only driving a short distance. Fuck that. So Antonio's like, nope, and just takes off running. He's like, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah. But he's seized by a humanoid creature, which was standing only five foot tall, per his estimation. Ah, kick it. Sorry. <laughs> you don't know what kind of powers these things no, have. No, I don't. You really don't. And I say that, and I, will, I'd be, I, mean, I would shit myself. I think my fight or flight would go to fight real quickly. Yeah, so would mine. And then I would go, whoop, and then go, oh, I can't do anything. God damn it. Right. So the humanoid was wearing gray clothes and a helmet, but through the helmet, Antonio could see that it had small blue eyes. Oh. And instead of talking, it made a yelping or barking noise. Well, then three more humanoids joined the first one, and the four of them dragged Antonio back to the UFO. Oh, they're like, get the fuck back here, like, baby. Come on, man. Yeah. This is where the abduction gets a tad graphic. Ooh. Fair warning. Yeah. So on board the UFO, Antonio's clothes are taken off, 
and his body is completely covered with some strange gel. Next, he's taken through a doorway that had red symbols on it, which Antonio didn't recognize. Through the doorway was a large semicircular room, and here there were humanoids that took blood from Antonio's chin, which this is just me saying this. That's an odd place to take blood from because yeah. the chin is not a very vascular area. Like, there's not say. a ton of blood going through there. No. So that's weird. But anyway, after that, Antonio was taken to a third room. And in this room, some sort of gas was pumped into the room. And because of this, Antonio became violently ill. And he estimates that this whole process lasted about a half an hour. Ew. Like vomit ill? Yeah. <gasps> Uh-uh. So no. he's taken in there. They pump it full of gas. He vomits, gets sick for about a half hour. No. Nope. Uh-uh. After this ended, another humanoid came into the room. This humanoid was female. She was naked. And Antonio remembers feeling strangely attracted to her. He remembers that she had large blue eyes like a cat and a pointed chin with whitish blonde hair. There's no fucking way. At this point... The female humanoid had sex with Antonio. Oh my God. Bit at his chin during it. And then after it was over, she rubbed her belly and pointed upwards. Antonio took this to mean that she was going to take their baby off of Earth and raise it elsewhere. What the fuck? Antonio felt like the humanoids had used him and he was angry because of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's weird. This is making me go... Okay. Uh, uh. Well, after the female left the room, Antonio was given his clothes back, and the humanoids took him on a tour of the UFO. <laughs> <laughs> and during this, sorry, Antonio tried taking a device that resembled a small clock from the ship, but the aliens caught him and took it back. <laughs> okay. He said no. Right. You, right. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> Eventually, Antonio was escorted off the ship and it glowed brightly as it flew away. Now, when Antonio finally got home, he realized that four hours had passed during the entire encounter. Okay. So sorry, Antonio. L love, l love you so much. So sorry. I'm calling bullshit. Let's on... continue then, shall okay. we? I'll give you more details. Okay. In the weeks after the incident, Antonio's health began declining. He was experiencing nausea and headaches, a generalized weakness and pains throughout his entire body, loss of appetite, a burning in his eyes and lesions that were appearing on his skin with no other signs of bruising. Ew. These lesions were reddish, harder than his average skin, often with small amounts of yellow discharge from the center of the lesions. And the lesions would last for months before disappearing. Do we know what he was working in in the field? Maybe bugs were biting him. Maybe. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. You know what I mean? Sure, like, maybe. Maybe there was just like a, a no. herd of like... Silly little bugs. Yeah, I don't no, believe that's Antonio. not what it was. Okay. Now, Antonio reads an ad in the paper from a journalist named Jose Martins. This ad was searching for people who had experienced UFO sightings. So Antonio reaches out to Jose Martins. And after talking to Antonio, Jose Martins reaches out to Alevo Fontes. I think I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. Alevo Fontes worked for the National School of Medicine of Brazil and also was associated with the American UFO Research Group. APRO. APRO is the Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they have one down the road, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I believe it started in the 50s. The okay. APRO started in the 50s. Well, Olavo Fontes examines Antonio. I believe he's a physician. Mm -hmm. And determines that Antonio has been exposed to 
large amounts of radiation, and he was suffering from radiation sickness. Throwback. The Goyana radiation accident. Yeah. Did he did he pass? At 57 years old, yes. Oh, so not, not right, right away. away, but very young. Yeah. To no surprise, Antonio's story was received by many with intense criticism. But later in life, Antonio became a lawyer, got married and had four children. And during his entire career as a lawyer, Antonio adamantly stuck to his story of abduction. A reputable guy saying, yeah, this happened. I don't know about this one. The fact that, I don't know. It's awful, obviously, what happened to him. However... The aliens just giving him a little tour of the the ship, and then we're like, "You okay? Leave. You gotta go." But think about the incident with Betty Hill. She just asked, but she still hu- like hung there, and then they were like, "Okay, bye." They had a conversation with her. Yeah, but said, showing hey, her around the ship. They may have. I don't know. Don't believe this one. Sorry, Antonio. Wow. Yeah. Stick in the mud. No. I'm Olivia Scarano. Stick, stick in, in the, the mud. mud. I, I want to know people's like thoughts at the end of this episode to like comment. And shit I do. Like that. I really do. I really, I really want to. I don't know. This is so backwards because I thought I was going to be the one who would be like, yes, this happened. Now we're coming up on stories that I'm less convinced by and I'm wondering if you will be Ooh, more slay. convinced by them. Okay. Let's take a listen. This next one is the story of Frederick Valentich. I think I'm saying that correctly. Frederick was an Australian pilot who disappeared during a flight into thin air. He was flying a small passenger plane, a Cessna, for those who know anything about planes, on October 21st, 1978, and he was flying from Tasmania to Australia. And Tasmania is the island just off the southeast coast of Australia, and the distance between the two is like 150 miles. Oh, okay. So it's... So not that far. Nah. No. Now, Frederick Valentich who was only 20 years old at the time, was an experienced pilot. Also, he was a ufology and alien enthusiast. Oh, yeah, there it is. We'll just leave that there. Yeah. Yeah. Now, on October 21st, Frederick was flying at about 4,500 feet after leaving Tasmania. At 7.06 p.m., Frederick reported that an unidentified aircraft was following him. Melbourne Flight Service said that there was no air traffic near him. (laughs) But Frederick insisted that a large vessel was following him and that it was on his tail. He said that the aircraft had four bright lights and at one point it passed over top of him at, quote, remarkable speed. This is this is just this guy trying to get in those fucking books. Yeah. Okay. Frederick's commentary was recorded. And for five minutes, he reported the movements of the mysterious aircraft and described it as having a shiny metallic exterior. I could I could do that right now, actually. You know? Sure. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. I can be like, it's over me. Oh, okay. It's hovering. 10-4. How dedicated would you be, though? I would be extremely dedicated. Well, let's, well, let's test that. Hello. Theory. I was a theater let's kid. Let's test it. Suddenly, however, the Cessna Frederick was flying experienced engine trouble. So, again, Melbourne Flight Service is like, okay, dude, one more time. Describe that aircraft. To which Frederick replied, quote, it's hovering and it's not an aircraft, end quote. And these would be his final words. Radio officials would describe the last audio transmission as, quote, metallic scraping sound. Frederick Valentich's fate was never determined, and as it would make sense, authorities assume his plane had crashed. However, the stretch of ocean between Australia and Tasmania was searched, and nothing was found. Granted, it's the ocean, so it's easy to lose a Cessna. Mm -hmm. 
But also, it's the 70s and a small area of the ocean between two large bodies of land. Really? Yeah. You can't find it? Hmm. Let's so, move. like, well, it's the fact that he, so he's dead? He died? We don't know. Weird. To this day, we don't know. Weird. However, in 2014, more information surfaced on his disappearance. Allegedly. We love that word. I love that word. A UFO group in Victoria claimed that a farmer had witnessed a UFO hovering over his farm on the morning of October 22nd, the day after Valentich's disappearance. Oh. This farmer, who wished to remain anonymous, said the UFO was roughly 90 foot in length and claimed that a small plane was stuck to the outside of the metallic UFO and the small plane was leaking oil. And this is where it gets frustrating. The farmer claimed that he could see the registration number on the side of the small plane, and he copied it down. But he never came forward with the information because he was afraid of being publicly ridiculed and for making up stories about aliens. Who cares? You're already already talking about it. Just say the fucking number. Even more frustrating, the UFO group was not able to identify the man or get the registration number that he had copied down because he refused to give any of that information. That's stupid. The lead investigator for the UFO group, George Simpson, was also incredibly frustrated. He said, quote, It's easy for some to dismiss, but there are corroborating stories confirming that there was a UFO near Adelaide at the time. This was an experienced pilot who should have been able to identify another aircraft, but clearly was unable to, end quote. Mm-hmm. Um, if he was an experienced pilot, even though he was only 20, why couldn't he make sense out of what he was seeing? Yeah. Hmm. And to this day, again, Frederick Valentich's fate is still a mystery. Weird. I believe that one. Shot. Thank yeah, you. I believe that one. That Called one's, it. That one's, that one's a weird one. And it's the fact that he disappeared and no one has any fucking idea. Because if that would have happened and then he would have landed the plane, that's where I thought you were going with that. And he would have been like, guys. Yeah, I oh knew when you were getting all cocky God. over there. I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, no, he's full of shit. I'm like, oh, he said, hold on. Bitch, you don't know. He doesn't make it. Yeah. He does not make that's, it. That solidified it for me. It, yep. Even if you stopped there and didn't even talk about like the farmer seeing it, it was the fact that he just fucking disappeared. Yeah. Crazy. It's sad. That's very sad. It's, but like, it is upsetting. I want to know what happened. Yeah. I want to know. I want to know. All right. Shot time. Okay. Cheers. Cheers. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. That one burned a bit. I'm not going to lie. Okay. To be <laughs> truthful, I did not take a shot. Did you really not? I took a gulp. You knew this. You you pour them. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> oh, I took a big gulp of my drink. <laughs> I cannot. I, I'm so Wait, sorry. Is it water or, or no, a drink? No, no, no. This is this is still my um. Vodka oh, never sprite. mind. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I'm. <laughs> this is my water. The straw one is my vodka and sprite. I, the audience at home should realize that I don't know what's happening on your side of the desk. No one does. <laughs> Do you? No. Does Fox Mulder? Yes. Always. Good. <laughs> How are you, Liv? How's your night going? Good. How's yours? Oh, wonderful. I, we had a delicious dinner. I think that's what's saving Chicken us. Chicken fingers, fries, coleslaw, Jack and Diet. I had a delicious drink called, it was called the pumpkin cider. That was really good. It had a lot of vodka in it. Couldn't taste it. Two types of vodka. Two types. There was just regular and then there was caramel and then pumpkin puree syrup. Anyway, I had a chicken Caesar wrap with fries. Basically anything from On Tap in Cuyahoga <laughs> Falls is the right answer. Yeah. Applause for them. Mm-hmm. We just and we love it. All right, moving on. Our next abduction story is the story of Terrell Copeland. 
Terrell is a former U.S. Marine from Virginia. Who? Terrell's case is one that involves multiple abductions, though. Also, Terrell was on an episode of UFO Hunters. Oh, hell yeah. No. Okay, so, again, you and I differ here. I did not watch the episode because I do not like that show. It's on par with Ancient Aliens, where the show's entire argument is... There's no proof aliens didn't do something. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck that show. It's so dumb. Yeah. There's nothing behind it. I hate it. Live. They were on tour. I. I. They were, she knows they were on tour, everybody. It's. Oh, brother. This guy stinks. The reason I knew that they were on tour was because I was listening to the radio and they said, calling all X Files aficionados. And then I was like, what uh, station were you that's listening me. to that? that 97.5 W O N E. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> yeah. Akron's uh Akron's home of rock and roll. All right, so Terrell. <laughs> Terrell. He's in the house. His case begins in 2005, which is when Terrell had his first UFO sighting. This occurred in Suffolk, Virginia, where Terrell saw a triangular-shaped object hovering above a shopping center late at night. Then again, years later in 2007, Terrell witnessed two UFOs at the same time from his apartment but these were shaped differently than the triangular UFO he'd seen two years prior. These UFOs were giant orbs of light. Uh, Sound familiar? Yeah, sounds like an X-Files episode, which I did see. Same with the triangle one, which was also an X-Files episode. Sounds like the Reed family abduction. Yeah, also sounds like an X-Files episode. I, I, Shh, moving on. I'm just saying since this is set in 2005, I don't know. The more it gets into the early 2000s, I'm kind of like, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, though. Carry on. I have nothing. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) these orbs of light were hovering in the sky above his neighborhood, about 300 feet in the air, just above Terrell. One was a solid bright white and the other in the air just across the street was rapidly changing colors. Terrell said a part of him felt anxious and startled like he wasn't supposed to be seeing this. So Terrell was able to record this with the camera on his phone, and he posted the video online to YouTube just after recording it. Do we have it? Just, I'll get there. Sorry. It's okay. I love the evidence. Same. But aside from being featured on a video of UFO hunters, it seems like the video has been taken down. I could not find it. (sighs) I did find it on the video of UFO hunters. Yeah. It's so blurry. It's a very obvious bright white light in the sky, mm-hmm. um, but it's not focused on for very long, and it just goes back to Terrell saying what he saw. Hey, probably was a street lamp. Have you ever mistaken a street lamp for a UFO? No. Uh, yeah. Is that? No. I don't. No? Believe, I don't believe him. All right. Well, let's move on. Oh, that was the end of that one. No. 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 There's. More. Oh. Okay. Let's I was going to say. Damn. Let's move on with La Store. Oh. The hell was that? French. So <laughs> <laughs> after. Terrell posted the video on YouTube, he began experiencing some strange happenings. Some stranger things, if you will. Oh, I and I will. Is that a drinking thing? Uh, no, but we can. Oh, yeah. That's okay, yeah. Well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Terrell posts the video on YouTube, but shortly after he posts the video, again, strange things start happening to Terrell. Firstly, Terrell woke up on his couch from a nap one day while somebody was knocking at his door. Terrell heard the knocks, But he also heard the doorknob jiggling like somebody was trying to open the door. He also heard what sounded like a faint scratching on the surface of the door. So Terrell, freaking out, went to grab his gun, which was on the table. But Terrell was completely paralyzed. 
he could only move his eyes. Then Terrell heard a voice that came through the door, which said, quote, you don't need that weapon. We won't harm. But Terrell never states what happens after that. So. No. Yeah. Well, anyway. (laughs) Unless it was in the episode of UFO Hunters, Mm -hmm. which I did not watch. It might be there. I didn't watch it. No. And I don't want to either. UFO Hunters is bullshit. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Claiming it. Bullshit. Yeah. Soon after, Terrell started experiencing missing periods of time. Over the course of two nights, Terrell lost a total of four hours, and these were hours during which Terrell was awake. So Terrell began trying to write notes and sketches of what memories he could remember from these missing hours. And as he did this, his memories began coming back to him. This is where Terrell begins remembering his abductions. In one abduction, Terrell was in a room with a humanoid creature who resembled a human female. Terrell remembered that she had the typical large black eyes that you would think about when you think of aliens, as well as a more elongated skull. In another memory of an abduction, Terrell remembers standing on his balcony, waving at a cylindrical UFO above him. No. No. This is one that I'm I'm not very convinced by. No, this is, I'm, I'm just, there's no fucking way. That him losing time is, hey, babe, disassociating. You're looking and you're doing something and you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. It was also at night. Where'd all the time go? I dissociate sometimes at night and then I'm like, oh, fuck, 30 minutes past. Because I go to, babe, I go to bed at 10. (laughs) However, no, there's no fucking way. I don't believe this guy. Sorry. Sorry, Terrell. Love you so much. Don't, Don't believe you. Now, Terrell himself is described by his family and friends as being an honest, straightforward, no nonsense kind of guy. And you can be that kind of guy and still say shit like this. Like there's, I I don't, I don't know why that is like coming into play, you know, for a bunch of these. I think it's just because making these claims opens you up to an entire realm of ridicule. So that begs the question, would he really be making up these claims if his friends and family's description of him was true? Maybe the description, it it is true. And he was like, wow, I'm very boring. And then decided to say something like this because he knew he was going to get attention from it. Listen, I watched snippets of that episode of UFO Hunters. Homie is not dripping with personality. I'll say that. Exactly. And that's why he wanted to come up with a story. Yeah. um, I was going to laugh there, but I was drinking. And I don't, now I sound like very harsh and uh, extremely rude. Well, no, like but I said, you this know is what I'm saying? Where believe. people are like, like you hit a point and you're just like, hey, what the fuck? And then you're like, oh, you see, you me. see UFO hunters on TV and you're like, I know exactly how to get the fuck on TV. And I know how just to like make me like a little bit more interesting. There's a wrong way and a right way to be on TV. This is the wrong, wrong way. way. And just to be a little more interesting. Hey, crochet. Hey, create a podcast <laughs> almost like they're hey, being read a, a book almost like they're being a right and a wrong way to drink alcohol there's no wrong way to consume alcohol which is accurate yes. but there's a wrong way to be on tv yes yes there is <laughs> that is so aren't you glad i had that like yes locked and loaded yes yes yeah. i did and again i don't want to sound very rude but i do you understand what i'm saying oh absolutely yeah? I do. okay yeah no it's it's a tall tale yeah I could believe it. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. Yeah. But I'm saying I need a lot more proof. I'm saying on board. I'm saying that he got his first one and people were like, oh, my God, that's crazy. And then he was like, yeah. And then um, someone started knocking at my door and scratching at it. And they told me to not 
be scared. And then I remember once when I was waving at the UFO and I was on my balcony in my apartment. Yeah, building. that was a lot. You know, Do you want to go forward with this? Yeah, go so ahead. Sorry. There was another. No, no, no. <laughs> you're fine. There was another article I read where Terrell said that one day there was a man who knocked on his door. Terrell answered it. And the man began asking Terrell personal questions about himself. The man claimed he was a military contractor who then went on to say that the government had, in fact, been in contact with extraterrestrials. There's no fucking way a man is coming up to his doorstep and he is saying that he's from the military and that he is proving extraterrestrial life to a random man. Continue. Correct. However, a military contractor is someone with military experience who was hired by private companies for a variety of things. So... Being devil's avocado, I guess if a private company were investigating UFOs, probable, legitimate. Yes. And they hired the help of someone with military experience, maybe then sure. They sent this guy to Terrell to ask him about the video. That's why it's not on YouTube anymore. Maybe, maybe not. I doubt it, but just. Yeah, just, just thought, throwing it out, throw there. It out there. Yeah. Uh, I don't believe it. No fucking I, way. He probably Googled that same exact thing and was like. I do think Terrell's full of shit. He is. But so no drinks for this one. No, no shots for this one. No. I wondered. Good, wondered. good, good try though, Mr. Terrell. That was crazy. You're crazy. Oh, Terrell. Oh, to be YouTube famous in 2005. 2007. Was it 05 or 07? I, it was I, 07. It was 07. Because it was 07. That's when he recorded it. Real. That's when we had the Motorola Razor, which could yeah. finally record things. Yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> that is the Halloween episode 2023 about UFO abduction yeah. stories. Woo! This is Liv's time to shine, everybody. She's here for it. Hey everybody, this is Ian. Hope you liked our Halloween special. We're going to end this episode just a little differently than our previous episodes. As you heard at the beginning of the episode, I wrote the content and Liv came up with a drinking game, not knowing what the content of the episode was. And boy was that a bad idea, because I played the game entirely too well. And most of the conversation that Liv and I had after we finished the UFO abduction stories is only somewhat intelligible and mostly unusable from my end. And if you're curious about what that means, here's an example of what I sounded like for the rest of the episode. I just looked at the entire time that we've been recording. It's been like three hours. It's been 57 hours. Yeah. Yeah, so for obvious reasons, we will not be using any of that content. And in the future, the rules for any drinking games that we play on the show will be created with each other, and not as a surprise. But I will play the parts of the original ending of the episode that I was able to salvage. Again, everybody, thanks for listening. Happy Halloween. Be safe. And always confer with your friends when you're making rules for a drinking game. So now I present to you the original ending that we recorded. Enjoy it. Well, Same thank you thing. guys so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We had a fun time. Hopefully Liv. you guys had fun as well listening to us talk about aliens. I had fun. I had fun. I told you I had fun. You are an X-Files connoisseur. I am an X-Files connoisseur. Seriously, um, quiz me on the X-Files. Hey, quiz me on the X-Files. Not who right do now. You think abdu- <laughs> who do you think abducted Betty and Barney Hill? Aliens. 
Or was it? Welcome. Oh, Jurassic Park. Sure, Jan. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> hey, guys. We're going to leave you with these. Um, follow us on Instagram at Disaster Hour Podcast. Also, email us if you have any suggestions of disasters that you want us to cover. Um, DisasterHourPodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, though. That's going to be the way um, you're going to be in contact with us more if you want to be. And um, hey, like and rate this episode five stars wherever you're listening. And we hope you have a fantastic um, Halloween and the rest of your day. Yeah, we are your listeners. <laughs> we this, love you. We love you. This is a great time. Yeah. Live. What is it out there? The truth is out there. And <laughs> yes, it is. And also, um, trust no one. That's also trust a nobody. That's awesome. Yes. And, and deny everything. Mm-hmm. Deny it all. Trust nobody. Be a conspiracy theorist. No. <laughs> and here it is. Live. Good night. Good Love night. You, good night. Love you. Good night. Um, and here we are. Bye, everyone. Goodbye. <laughs> you didn't pause it. I'm a very normal person about it.